This is Banana Republic, the new political podcast from Birmingham Live. I'm Neil Elks, political correspondent, and for this first episode I'll be joined by two young councillors who have been making a name for themselves over the last few years from the backbenches. Um, we'll be looking at the up-and-coming council elections and talking about what it means to be a councillor in this city and perhaps looking behind the headlines, looking at some of the little things that make a difference and the work of a councillor. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you subscribe. Thank you. Right, we're here um, to talk about the up-and-coming elections and the life of a Birmingham city councillor. Um, I've got two fine young councillors with me today. Uh, Conservative Alex Yip, who represents uh, Sutton Newhall, and Labour's Josh Jones, who represents Stockland Green. Um, So we've got two sides of a a political divide in the council, but uh, they've both been on the council a few years now, but uh, they're still quite new, relatively speaking, given that we've got councillors that have been on there for decades. Mm -hmm. And... um, it's something that always occurs to me that we always think of councillors as these old grey-haired gentlemen, retired uh, businessmen um, and, and local busybodies and uh, so on. But um, Birmingham, there, there's a real mix in the chamber. And uh, we've got a couple of these guys here today, so I'm going to get them to introduce themselves. I'll start with Josh. So, Josh, can you tell us a bit about your uh, background and how you came to be on the council? Yeah, so I've been a councillor for six years. I got elected in Stockland Green in 2012 when... Labour came back into power on the City Council. I got involved in politics basically because as a teenager I was very interested in social issues. So I was really interested in the environment, uh, being opposed to nuclear weapons and also kind of environmental things. So, um, and the Iraq war as well, I think was a big sparking point for lots of young people and it certainly was for me. So I decided to... I was kind of on the Labour Labour side of the argument very much from a young age. Then about 2009, when the Labour Party took hammer in, in the European elections, I, just, I decided to join then uh, as a teenager when I was 18. And I've been a party member and been involved with things since then. In about 2000, in 2010, when Jack Dromey came to Erdington, he really encouraged me. I ended up doing lots of the campaign uh, in Erdington in 2010. And from there I became an agent in 2011 and ran it, ran my first campaign. And since then I've been a Labour count. I was selected to be a candidate in late 2011, and I've been there ever since. And you're, um, yeah, you're very keen on um, those issues, environmental issues. I think that's the times I've heard you speak up in committee and so on. So um, you certainly made a noise. I think. Yeah, I think I made a lot of noise when I first got <laughs> on the Labour and in the Labour group and. Uh, outside with some of my views was a bit outspoken I've got, to, I've got to tell a funny story here about Josh because one of the first times I came across him was on the transport scrutiny committee and he um, and he announced that it was his view that we should ban cars from the city centre entirely <laughs> <laughs> forget congestion charge and then I had, a, I had a queue of about three or four older Labour councillors coming up to me saying that isn't official party <laughs> policy, that is not party policy one way of making noise <laughs> And um, now I'm going to turn to Alex, who I think is, is a bit newer to the council. Yes, I got elected in 2015 on a by-election, uh, and then I had to stand for re-election in 2016, so I'm certainly getting my experience with uh, the campaigning. Um, for myself, um, I've always wanted to get into politics, I've always wanted to try and uh, make a difference to the community, to my society. Um, I was sort of bullied when I was a child, suffered from um, abuse as well, and also depression. 
So those are sort of the issues that I, I like to champion in council. And um, it's been really nice to have an opportunity to try and um, be a stand for those things that you, you like to see. Um, as well as being a, a councillor and also a magistrate, so I've been doing that for about six, seven years. Also been a school governor for eight years. So it's no coincidence in council I'm on the scrutiny for children, families and education. So it's just bringing those experiences and those lessons to bear and trying to affect policy within council and hopefully make a difference for the lives of other children. Mm. The first time I spoke to you, you were billed as Birmingham's first Chinese councillor. Yes, um, uh, I think there's about 18,000 councillors across the whole country and there's only about 10 or 11 Chinese councillors. Yeah. So um, certainly a very small percentage. But we're very lucky in Birmingham that we've got, I think it's about 50% of the population from a diverse background and council is fairly representative of that. We do have a lot of diverse councillors from uh, both sides as well as uh, younger councillors as well like Josh and myself. Yeah. Um, how have things, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to when you first came on the council. What, what were your preconceptions like and what was the experience like? Perhaps if I give Alex the first go this time. Well, I think from the outside, you sort of look at Birmingham, you think it's a huge, vibrant city, and you've got 120 councillors, um, and you can get a lot done, you've got some power and influence. Um, and the reality is it's incredibly frustrating to get anything done, even trying to get a, a, a bin installed by a bus stop or getting a road resurfaced. It's, it's incredibly hard, and I think frustrating is, is kind of the, the main word for me, I found. Um, because there's so much possibility, so many things we should be able to do quite simply, but it seems that the organisation is kind of geared up to prevent you from doing things, <laughs> right. find a way to say no as opposed to finding a way of saying yes. Yeah. So it's very hard sometimes. Yeah. And yourself, Josh? I can remember one of the first things I wanted to do when I got elected was to say as many council buildings as possible be slabbed with photovoltaic panels because mm. I wanted to make sure that we were getting renewable energy into the council like save, yeah, yeah. save money for the council in future years but obviously like the capital cost of that was so much that it was never going to happen and I tried to push in Erdington for us to do King Standing Leisure Centre and Erdington Leisure Centre potentially with panels and maybe get all of the wards together to put their capital money together because when I first got on we obviously had community chest funding but we still had we had £25,000 of capital community chest funding as well but um, I think I was in a small minority of people that want, wanted to do that so we didn't do that across the district which was a shame but hopefully it's the type of thing I'd like to see us do as a council in the future Yeah um, Is there anything that you... Um that, that you perhaps have achieved that, that you're happy with or that you, you, you're quite proud of? I think the, one of the first things I did was open a youth centre in my ward. Mm-hmm. So I worked with the YMCA um, and the Stockland Green Ward Advisory Board and we opened a youth centre on Slade Road right down the middle of my ward, literally up around the corner from where, I, where I've bought my house now where I live. Um, and it was really great to open that we moved from that venue to another one at the school um, and now it's and we had it, had it running there from the school for about three years then when they needed the space that the youth club used to expand it's now moved up to the Methodist church at the top of the road and still running really really well so I think that's one of the things that I'm really proud of when I first got on and I think since then I'm quite proud of the the way that the boundaries turned out for Birmingham because obviously I was putting charged by Albert when he was leader of the council back in 2015 of 
looking after the Labour Party submission. Mm. So I think that that's kind of left an indelible mark on Birmingham. So <laughs> I think legacy. I think that's one thing I'm quite proud of. I think I spent a lot of time with Albert, and I've walked around the city and seen you see his his fingerprints all over, mm. and I think that's something that I'd I'd like to achieve as well. So that there. Those are the two of the proudest achievements that I've got because one's still delivering a service for young people and the other one's kind of something that will probably be within the electoral area of Birmingham for the next 20 years. And for those that don't know, Albert is Sir Albert Bohr who ran the council for 10 years. He was in charge of the Labour group for 20 years um, and he was before that he was in charge of economic development during the 80s and was involved in things like the ICC and uh, NIA building and, and so on so so a big big figure in the Birmingham politics who's still a member of the council and still quite active yeah. although uh, a little more quiet from the uh, from the shadows now so yeah. <laughs> I don't know expect you to answer that one <laughs> um, and Alex you, you you've obviously had less time to uh, to make your mark but uh, you, you've certainly been noticed so. thank you I mean it's um I generally, I generally sort of split the, the casework into two there's the larger campaigns that you sort of try and push forward um, and then the smaller casework, um, the larger ones, for example, being trying to get a petition, for example, for council tax refund during the bin strikes, or trying to get um, road safety measures at Junction, Wildgreen Road being a noticeable junction, um, or trying to campaign for um, care centres not being closed. So there's that sort of side of the work, and there's also the, the very hyper-local ones where a resident, for example, would contact you asking for something very specific, um, like trying to get support with a refund for their council tax, for example. And I found it's the those sort of really small ones which make what you would think probably quite um, a small difference actually to the for that one person which make a huge difference. Um, I remember one lady who wanted, I think it was £150 refund for a council tax, and she was getting nowhere through the call centre. And um, for myself, sent a couple of emails, don't think anything more of it. Um, and in a couple of weeks' time, she, she sent me a very nice handwritten letter in hmm. very old, full handwriting. It was beautiful. Um, just saying how much she appreciated the help. Hmm. Um, on the high level, we've got um, over at Scrutiny, we've managed to feed into um, the Birmingham City Council policy for child sexual exploitation, for example. And it's been quite um, uh, you know, a very um, difficult subject to, to tackle, but it's something that I know that the scrutiny members have managed to make a real difference to the lives and the future of uh, other children in the city. There's also um, adoption, looked after children, those sort of areas, other areas that look mm-hmm. after. Um, and other ones, for example, um, I remember one lovely story where there was um, a, um, a family who were trying to get their disabled children, for example, the education plans, and they were again getting over through the council process. So. I find as a council it's just being able to intervene and try and cut through the red tape and just to make the lives of people just that little bit easier is actually where you make the most difference. Yeah, because um, I mean for our sins as a newspaper or as a website we cover the big issues, Commonwealth Games, you know, air pollution and roads, big contracts that are handed out. Um, but perhaps we don't always um, appreciate the other side of the job. And it's the same with MPs, of course, you have a stream of surgeries and people coming in. Um, so the day-to-day items mm-hmm. I think people care most about, like you know, waste and council tax, mm-hmm. and it's those which affect people the most on a small day-to-day basis, as mm-hmm. opposed to large big projects, which, as you say, normally gets covered by the press. Yeah. Whereas if you look at my ward, housing is one of the biggest issues, particularly mm-hmm. 
the private renting sector because I think is it 38% of the properties in Scotland Green and higher now in the private rented sector. So I think the fact that we've worked really hard and had a consultation about having mandatory licensing for private landlords in Scotland Green mm-hmm. that's run over the last few weeks and should be coming to cabinet as well to hope to have implementation of that. I think that's something that's really really important and that. Penny and I have worked on in Stutland Green the whole time I've been a councillor there mm. so for the last six years and to hopefully see that come into fruition now is something that I'm really really proud of because whenever we're out and talking to residents that's something that they raise all the time Yeah. so I think that's a really really big issue yeah yeah um, certainly there's been a massive shift to private rented housing and I know um, some of Alex's colleagues in the next ward have been raising issues about um, houses of multiple occupation and yeah. those issues and certainly on our um on our uh, on, on the Birmingham Live website, we've done a few stories about council housing, and um, and, and we know that, that people are very interested in that, and, and they'd love to see stories yeah. about council houses being built and more council houses, um, and and you know stories about housing estates going up, and, and they certainly want to see that. And I notice it's on, you know, it, it's very much on the agenda. Um, last week we had Andy Street got. Some huge sum of money off the Chancellor yeah, to, to, yeah, to to build houses. So, um, you know, it's something that everyone's very much um, focused on at this time. Um, I want to go on to the um, perhaps some of the, the the other side, the campaigning, the the, the, the the cut and thrust of the political thing. We've got a big election coming up, and, and Josh mentioned about redrawing the boundaries. Everything's changing now. And I'm guessing the next sort of three or four weeks are going to be manic. Planned <laughs> perhaps if you've got any back, you know, war stories from previous campaigns. That, um... Well, I'm sure as you know, I'm not sure your the listeners know, but um, there's 120 councillors at the moment, and um, at the moment the elections are staggered. So there's once almost every year where a yes. third of the council is up. But in May, it's all out elections. The number of councillors being reduced down to 101, which means instead of there being one ward with three councillors getting mixed, so some wards with two councillors, some wards with one, um, and everybody's up for for re-election, um, and they'll be for one four-year term. So there's an awful lot riding on this because it will be, um, in effect, three four years worth of elections in one go, and it will set the tone for the next four years. Hmm. So um, every opportunity for maybe a, a change that the city would need. I'm not sure what you think about that, Josh. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think my view is that the city needs more funding at the end of the day which I think is something that we all, we continue to argue about until the cows come home I think Birmingham is still a really deprived city We've, we look at the levels of deprivation the amount of boards and constituencies we have that are in there like bottom 10% of poorest constituencies in the UK I think Birmingham needs lots and lots of support and I think for the last few years it hasn't had the level of support and I think Birmingham's doing the best that it can at the minute in its financial situation and will continue to strive to do better over yeah. the next four years, hopefully. Yeah, of course. There are, I mean, there are big differences here. Um, and and it, this is the, the constant bone of contention in the council chamber. And, and I've constantly said the, the call is that uh, the, the, the Labour Council's letting, from, from one side, is that Labour Council's letting the city down. And then the call from the other side is that the Tory government's letting the city down. Um, but I think I think we've accepted that that that's the viewpoint. Um, yeah. But you know I wanted to get a bit behind the scenes on the election. Yeah. Um, and and you know what 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 sort of things have you got planned? What will you be doing? How 
how, how do you go about on a local campaign? Um, you know, you can't go on Question Time or on, you know, um, go, and, go and get interviewed on Radio 4. So, Look, Generally, the way you do it is by going out, knocking, to, knocking on doors, talking to people, seeing if they've got any problems or any issues. When there's large campaigns, it's about a specific issue, let's say down in Wiley Birch that's coming into my ward under the new boundaries is that there's a big issue around the potential of Lakeside Children's Centre mm. not not remaining open so it's about working with other, organi- other organisations and the local residents to keep that open mm. I know that our local MP, my local MP Jack Droman, um, MP Fredenton had had a huge amount to do with that I lobbied the cabinet member at the time about that as well to make sure that it remained open as well because uh, I felt that it was really really important so I think the way you do it is you, it's about talking to people it's about putting leaflets about organising petitions which is something that I know that Alex is uh, very well versed in as well as he <laughs> tends to lead on a lot of the petition things for the whole of the city for the Tories so I think that's kind of, that's kind of the way that we do it at our megaphones is much smaller and in a much more micro scale so it's about going out into your community and talking to people and raising awareness with them and listening to what they have to say Mm. more than anything but I also think that a big part of local elections is what's going on in the country as well I think that we almost have um, a contradiction in our country where local elections seem to be controlled by national issues and national elections seem to be controlled by local issues in some ways which I find really really interesting. I get one side of that because I saw the Labour vote collapse after the Iraq war in this city you know 15 years ago Um, and certainly we've seen the waves of you know the Tories did very well in Birmingham when Gordon Brown was in charge and and was falling out of favour at the depth of the crisis and then just as Cameron and Clegg took over then the Lib Dems got a kick in and, um, and and Labour started to, to rise in Birmingham again. We're, we're almost um, what do you call it? We're almost um, I can't think of the word now. But but we centre back the trend. You know whatever's happened yeah, nationally, we we, we, we 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 like to have governments in conflict with our council. I mean, what's your view? Well, the local elections are always seen as a sort of bronze for national mm. uh, issues, and unfortunately, my, I kind of disagree with that because I think the the local elections should in some ways stand apart because it's about what. The, the, the council have done is about you know who your local representative is, and it's it's difficult when um, you know for example very good local councillors uh, have done you know very good work, but their work on the local level seems to be subsumed by what's happened on the national level. Mm. Uh, Whereas councillors we have very little influence over, unfortunately. Mm. Um, about the the campaigning, and I've, I've I sort of found that it's um, it's good fun doing work um, you know sort of steadily over the over the year two years. And then trying to get the leaflets out to, to sort of evidence what you've done, and it's always that balance I find between doing the work and doing the campaigns, getting all the casework, and actually having to, you know, as a as a necessary evil to sort of stand up and shout and sort of let people know about it through leaflets and trying to get it out in, in the press and the Birmingham Mail. Um, I found that to be a balance which I've always struggled with because if you do the work, I'm very happy just to get on with the work, but. You don't evidence it. It's not in a leaflet. It's almost as if you know it hasn't been done, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and so you've got to shout about it. Has, it has yeah. to be shouted about it. Mm. And 
I think you know not many people realise the time of effort that it takes in, you know, on everybody's side to design and push leaflets. It actually takes an incredible amount of time um, mm-hmm. to get every household, you know, to see what you've done, so people know actually for the whole year we've been working for the ward and for the community. Um, and I hope that for the campaigning side, I mean, I've I've been elected in 2015 and re-elected in 16, so I've been lucky more than some to actually have that experience. Um, and I hope that my record of what I've done consistently through the year hmm. actually speaks for itself. And then in terms of a last minute push in the last sort of four weeks, I generally don't tend to try and do that. I just try and put out another leaf out just saying, well, this is what I've done over the whole year. Hmm. And then just try and let that speak for itself, I suppose, is just trying to, to do a big surge at the end. And hmm. I use my time to help the other target wards. Yeah. I mean, Josh has mentioned that his, his ward has got a particular issue with housing. You've had the planning issue, haven't you, on your yes, ward? So, so you've been... a new ward that's got yeah. the, the Pedmore Langley's development, that's 6,000 houses. Um, as Josh was saying, I've led a number of petitions and campaigns, along with residents organisations like the Warmley Residents Association, the Project Fields, to push and try and hold Birmingham City Council to regenerate brownfield sites, of which is about 18,000 units or something around the area, um, first, before you move on to Greenbelt land. Something I've pushed for, advocated, trying to do on behalf of residents, and unfortunately, got nowhere. Mm. That's one of the big frustrations that, despite the overwhelming amount of residents in Sutton Goldfield who are saying, we don't want to see this housing built mm. unless it's a last resort, which it should be under the Greenbelt policy. Unfortunately, because of expediency, we're finding it built, being built first. Yeah, you found yourself up against a Labour council, then a Conservative government that, that approved those plans, mm. and probably the, the lobbying of the development industry yes um so it's it's a you know three big beasts there to fight yeah. yes absolutely and I've, yeah. I've always hoped that um when i got first got elected is that the voice of the local resident mm. through petitions through campaigns i always hoped perhaps naively would carry the day mm. and even with i think it was fourteen thousand signatures we had um for a council tax refund 4,000 names for a safety measures at a junction, mm. even with those significant numbers, unfortunately even the, the cabinet members over in council would still you know, give it due respect, but then mm. not enough respect, so I feel yeah. in, in, my, um, in my estimation. Yeah. Um, perhaps we could ask you what, what, um, what, what you would change about the way the council works, or um, given your experience. Sure. One of the things I'd change is the I think we were in a. I think we were in a better p- position in the way that cabinet portfolios crossed over, and I think we mm. need to get back to doing that because I think that we were back in a situation almost where things are partitioned a bit. A bit do, do you think they don't? They don't work together. They don't play well together. I think they, departments. Or? I think they. I think that mm. there's culture change with the cabinet members, but I think there still needs mm. to be culture change within the organisation, and I think that's something that the Kerslow report obviously picked up. And I think that we still need to so, action so, so ahead. I think it's. Mo- I think we've moved in the right direction, but I don't think mm. we've moved as far enough in the right direction. I think one of the other big things I'd like to. I'm sad to see district committees go and kind of the, the way that. So that was local area committees. Yeah. The, yeah. So the I was chair of Enton District for its last three and a half years, and even if I. W- if, even if I wasn't a chair of the district I think that it's just about having that local connection because when we f- Labour first took control of the council one of, the thing, one of the things that we did really really well was 
bring lots of things to district committees so that local members had an extra chance to talk about things and how they'd affect their local areas. Mm -hmm. And I think a large part in because of the way the Kerslake report has um, talked about the needing to reduce the amount of councillors, remove some of the roles that district committees had, it's Mm -hmm. made it um, much more difficult. But I think just having maybe that more of a focus on local issues, which I know is something that we as a council are definitely trying to do with the assistant mm-hmm. leaders in the paper that they brought through um, council and through cab- no, so, cabinet. Yeah, so again, you're talking about this whole red tape thing. This it, it, It's just badly organised, which stops you doing what you might want to do. Is that...? I, th- I think it's... <coughs> I think it's more of a fact that everybody's in such a tight financial constraint at the minute. Everybody's mm-hmm. worried about their... But their, their budget lines better their budget lines more than mm. anything else rather than the cross cutting of services which I mean there's some really good work going on but I think there's yeah. still more to do I mean on the district side Alex has got a good example in his ward where they've tried to do something different with the parish council yes yeah, so it's just patch. a has got its own town council yeah. it's, um, it's got it raises its money for its own precept um, but coming back on what you were asking mm. about changes within yeah. the, the council I mean I've from my own personal experience, I've, I've seen a lot of um, a lot of waste, a lot of inefficiencies, a lot of way that departments are very silo working. Morale is quite low as well. I've I've found, and I think it's it's so frustrating that the the city has got so much energy. It seems to be going places nationally. There's lots of energy around, um, lots of building works, there's lots of opportunities, especially with HS2, with the Commonwealth Games. There's a lot for us to celebrate, and it seems almost that the internal workings of the council is kind of holding the city back hmm. and I, I find it incredibly frustrating because it should be a vehicle to which we can really empower organisations and take the lead on many things and I don't feel it is so what I would like to see different would be to find a way of really increasing the morale of the staff to try and get people on board um, for officers and cabinet members to take responsibility for their actions and decisions um, to really have that accountability and transparency so that the wider citizenry can actually look at the council with some sort of um, hope and, and integrity that actually it is leading the way. I think I think I'd say that the council has been leading efforts to regenerate and revitalise Birmingham. I mean, if you look at, for example, what's happened with Grand Central, that was led through by the Labour by the Labour Council. If you look at what's happened with the Commonwealth was, Games, that was a joint effort. Josh, yeah. come on, I, yeah. I was there when Lord. <laughs> Whitby uh, opened yeah. the uh, the bidding on that one. If you look at what's if you look at what's happened with like the transport infrastructure, Albert's been mm-hmm. Albert so Albert Ball was a large influencer mm-hmm. in pushing that forward. If you look at what Ian Ward's done as the deputy leader and now as leader of the council in the Commonwealth Games and the bidding for that and bringing that to the city, he's done a huge amount of work on that. So I think that Birmingham is pu- is pushing forward and moving forward a large part because of the, because of the leadership of the city, but I still think that there's we've more had we can problems do. with the leadership, haven't we? I'm, I'm going to balance oh, it out because yeah. you're having a bit of a <laughs> free run here, and uh, <laughs> well, um, we, we've yeah. seen three leaders in, in two or three years. It's it's not been a edifying sight um, for those of us that follow these things. Um, yeah. It seems that like there's no consistency. Like you say, there's been a number of leader changes. We've had a number of calls from the Conservative and the Lib Dem side calling from the Cabinet Member for Waste to, to step down. I feel rightly so because of the handling of um, the waste situation in the Council and 
that's kind of what I mean by I feel personally that needs to be that transparency and that accountability between cabinet and Empire State. You know, if they're here paid very rightly so to do a job and if they're unable to do that job for whatever reason, then they need to take responsibility for it, either through a very clear apology um, and then to step aside basically to let someone else take on the reins. Um, but it's that sort of the wider issue about what the city looks like from the outside and we've heard um, it being mentioned down in uh, Prime Minister's Question Times, the state of Birmingham, we're leading towards Commonwealth Games and you know, we had the bid for the Commonwealth Games in the middle of the, the waste strikes and it's, it's not right, it's not appropriate and I think the city is due for a change, um, a little bit of change every so often does do the thing good um, and I think we're at that very good moment where that could mm. very well happen in May. Of course, we've got, um, as you said earlier, we've got these all-up elections. It's all very different now. Um, does that make it? Will that make a difference to you? Are you both in two-member wards? So, so you're still. Be- so I'm in a single-member ward. You're in a single. So I've gone from a, a three-member. So we've uh-huh. got two colleagues um, who very much, very grateful for supported my um, my learning curve, a very steep uh-huh. learning curve. Councillor Kenwood and David Barry from Newhall Ward. And I'll be going to Wild Green, so it'll be a single member ward. Mm. Um, I think, as Josh was saying, I sort of don't really disagree with the whole formation of single member wards. It's, you know, well, if I get ill, if I go on holiday, or yeah. if something happens. You're not an MP, don't you have, don't have staff. Exactly. You don't. We don't have staff, I mean, we it's just mm. ourselves on the, um, sort of trying to do what we can. And to expect one councillor to have the necessary skills and depth on all different areas. For example, uh, Kenwood's very good at housing. Mm. I've got um, quite a good um, angle on education and business, for example. And I think between the three of us, we cover most of the bases. Mm. To put that all on the shoulders of one uh, council, I think, is um, it will be difficult. But I'm looking forward to the challenge. Yeah. I think for me, I think it would have made more sense for us to have just had, if we were going to have a change, just to have two, two member wards flat mm. across the board and maybe go to 50 wards of two members. Mm. I think that would have probably made more sense. But there's a big push from the Boundary Commission to have one-member wards, so that's why we've ended up with so many. I mean, I'm going into a two-member ward, it's going to be myself and Penny Holbrook, who's been my ca- colleague the whole Your time. Your mentor, yeah. I think. Yeah, not just a mentor, I think, like a very close personal friend as well. I mean, mm-hmm. me, Penny was one of the uh, few councillors that came to my wedding, so mm-hmm. yeah, me and, me and Penny, we, we get on really, really well. I think, like Alex said, we complement each other very well in, what our, in our skill sets. So, I mean, I think we have different areas of de- different area of interest. There's some of commonality, like jobs and skills, I think is something that we're both really passionate about. But I think Penny has more experience, particularly in like the housing side and things like that. Whereas me, it's more, I have more of it when it comes to the environment and when it comes to like young people as well. So I think we, we, our skills really complement each other. So that's why I'm really glad that I'm, going to be standing mm. in a team on board it's a lost opportunity but I think in terms of where we are now just mm. sort of get on Go with it and yeah. with four years it'll be an all out election so it'll be four years for the next uh, election I think that's quite a good change really because it'll allow the council to really have some stability to really set some long term mm. projects without always having to constantly be, be up for election for, um, I think I think there was a feeling certainly in that report that decisions were delayed or deferred till after the election and uh, you keep deferring the same decision decisions when they come around every year um, I, I mean I agree 100% mm. I think four year terms make more sense parliaments are elected for five year parliaments so that you can get make decisions over a longer period of time and I think councils need the same yeah um, 
just before um, I'm glad we found some agreement at the end there as well um, but the um, what would you say to anyone who was thinking about a life in politics again as I, I want to go back to where we started which was the <laughs> don't do it, which was where we started with the idea of these stuffy old people who sort of seem a bit aloof and cut off from it all um, I don't you know I see you close up and, and see your colleague close up and and, and I know that you put work in, you knock on doors, you probably have you know, a very close relationship with the people in your wards and in your areas. Um, but anyone who was thinking you know, that they, they could do a job, they could make a difference, they could make a change, I mean, what, what sort of advice would you give them? Well, I've been, when I first um, was thinking of standing as a councillor, I've obviously talked to a few of the councillors and got their mm. advice and opinions. And, a lot of their advice was, obviously you've got the casework, you've got the meetings, you've got residence meetings, that's all well and good. So I'll take a step back and think, yeah, I could do that. But for myself, it's been the, the public cost, the, that's the personal cost, which has actually been mm. quite surprising um, in that you, anything you say um, could be taken out of context. You could have um, a 10 minute speech and that one phrase that you say gets taken out of context and then used against you. Um, on Facebook and Twitter, it's almost seen as your your you know, easy game. You know, people are very happy to attack you and mm-hmm. make it very personal. When actually, um, you know, all of us as councillors are just people at the end of the day. Um, we have feelings, we have ambitions, mm-hmm. and we disagree um, on how to um, change the city. But ultimately, we want to try and change the city for the better. Um, I remember going to Conservative conference and. Um, the whole hang the Tories banners that were put out welcoming us to the city. Mm. Um, there were people just standing outside saying, you know, Tories gone. Mm. And, you know, how many babies have you killed today? And it's just shocking, you know, just walking around thinking, actually, I've given up a lot personally, put myself up for public service because I want to make a difference for the, the city and to champion things that I believe in. Um, and it's it's quite hurtful, really, when you're sort of trying to do your best mm. um, according to how you think and your morals and your direction and what your beliefs are um, to be spoken and seen in that way and it's um, it's it's um, it's that public cost which I think has been most surprising hmm. um, of all yeah. do you agree with that? Or? I think definitely about the type of the things that you can say and like tiny hmm. decisions that you make I think a lot of the time when I was first a councillor I was very very verbose in the way that hmm. I would express myself very not afraid to just say hmm. anything. So I think you touched on it earlier, kind of my example around cars and the city <laughs> centre. I think I had lots and lots of moments like that when I first started. But the longer you spend, the more you, you learn about to learn what you what you can and what you can't yeah. say. And I think on top of that, the big thing I'd say is if you wanted to get involved I'd say do it but I think the one thing you really have to think about is the amount of time you, that you're prepared to spend up and give to it because there's no point saying yeah I want to do it and have really good um, reasons for wanting to get involved and do th- and do things but I think you really have to commit to it as a counsellor I th- don't think there's any way that you can do it at like 50% you have to be all in and you have to be really really committed so well, if you're working full time or you're working part time and you want to be a counsellor, I think that you definitely can. You can do that, but you just have to know that you're gonna have to give up a lot of time of your evenings and of your weekends to go and go to residence meetings. You've got the council meetings that you need to go to. It's 
just the small things like going and seeing residents in their homes when they've got issues. So you have to give up, you have to give up lots and lots of time and be prepared to do that. And I mean, I I love being a counsellor and I love standing up for people and wanting to make a change. So for me, it's uh, it's it's an easy decision because it's part of my DNA and makeup. But I think. Yeah, you have to be a certain type of person. You've got to enjoy the punishment of it because <laughs> it, it is a hard rigorous I mean, schedule. I mean, the public perception is that councillors have got you know a staff and we're incredibly well paid, but actually, yeah. well, um, that, it's well, only a part time. I'm, I'm happy to mention how much you're paid. It's, it's sixteen thousand pounds ish an allowance, and that covers everything. And that covers everything. It's assumed you work three days a week, mm. but you yeah. probably work more. Well, I, I, um, yeah, no chance working three days a week, and you're supposed mm. to be able to juggle this with a full-time job. But in order to, you know, cabinet meetings or full council at two o'clock on a Tuesday that mm. lasts until half seven, it's impossible. So I think that the public expectation, as Josh was saying, about what you know, I mean, the sacrifice that you need to give, um, I think is immense, and I've got an immense amount of uh, honour for councillors who've been there for longer than I've been alive, literally mm. yeah. 36 years of service, and it's, it's incredible. Think amount of time that people have um, put into it um, for not a lot, and um, I'd say it'd be worth it if there is a difference and you are making a contribution. Hmm. And at times I've gotten quite disheartened because you sort of tried to push for something that you do strongly believe in and get nowhere. Hmm. But then it's obviously the the odd moments of you know getting a bin installed by a bus stop or <laughs> helping you know um, individuals get a road resurface that actually does make it worthwhile. <laughs> That was our first episode, and uh, thank you to Alex and Josh for joining us for that and uh, opening the door to their lives as uh, backbench councillors in Birmingham. Um, next time, we're going to be having a chat with one of the candidates for People Power Brum, a new initiative, a new movement that's going to try and shake up the political system in the city. They've got an uphill struggle, but they, uh, they seem very keen, and uh, I hope you tune in for that and subscribe. Um, via iTunes, Audio Boom, and, and many other services, and uh, catch up soon. And for some background, if you're interested in becoming a councillor in Birmingham, it doesn't cost a thing, it takes a bit of work. Or um, if you want to know how the elections are changing in some more detail, the new wards, the new areas, we've got all the information on our website. Just type Birmingham Live, how to be a councillor, Birmingham Live, how the council elections are changing into Google and you'll find those articles and uh, thank you very much and goodbye